You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Will, are you excited about revival tonight? Amen. Me too. Me too. I am so excited about our guest speaker tonight. Um, He is um, just a phenomenal leader. Um, God has just really placed his hand of anointing on him. He, for the last 10 years, he has pastored in St. Louis um, at Twin Rivers Worship Center and just done a phenomenal job, more than doubling in growth um, and uh, opening campuses. And uh, God's just got his hand on him. Uh, Not only that, but also in his leadership, he has um, been uh, um, acknowledged and called upon to serve in our church denomination um, on our executive council, uh, kind of uh, as a member, like a board of trustees um, that sort of helps guide and direct our denomination. He also serves on the board of directors of um, Oral Roberts University. And soon he is just about to be a published author. And uh, if you've got that, uh, that uh, if you could put that up there, a uh, new book that's coming up, it is Hope After Church Hurt. If you've ever met someone that says, I love the church, but... I love Jesus, but, and they have all these reasons why they were hurt by someone. This speaks to those deep issues, and it's not, it's not even in print yet. It's coming out soon, but if you'd like to pre-order it, you can scan the QR code. You can find it on Amazon um, under his name, but it's going to, it's a great book. He's a great writer. He is a great friend and a great preacher, and I want you to help me welcome back Pastor Joe Dobbins tonight as he comes to bring the word. Come on, you got one more for Jesus. He's the reason we're here tonight. It is, um, it's wonderful to be back. I, um, I, I've been here, I think three times now, and every time I'm just blown away. I I keep telling my, my family, I want them to come with me, but it's just expensive. Uh, Kayla and I have five children. I think they've got a picture. There they are, the Fab Five. Um, it's just expensive. And not only that, I've got, if you'll notice, I've got four girls. That's uh, four weddings to pay for. So, you know, I not only preach, I do bar mitzvahs, birthday parties, anything that pays. So, uh, no, they, they do wish they could be here. Um, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time just on pleasantries. Uh, I want to just take a moment, though, to honor uh, Pastor Kirk and your team I don't know any um, people who are more sincere than your leadership team. Um, I get the privilege of traveling, being around a lot of leaders, and um, his quiet confidence mixed with the compassion of the Lord Jesus and the brilliance of, of, unlike any other I've ever known, have given you an incredible gift and given me a dear friend. And so it's an honor to be here tonight for you. Can you show your pastor some honor? Tell him how much you love him, love this team. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Um, I'm not gonna risk losing your focus on small things. Um, I wanna get straight into the message. Um, It's funny how some of the biggest shifts in life come from some of the smallest phrases. I mean, will you marry me? It's a girl. You're hired. Would you like fries with that? Life can turn in a moment on just a couple of words. 
And I'm asking the Lord to do that for us tonight with a message that's simply entitled, There is More. There is more. Go ahead and turn to somebody that you set beside and just tell them, There is more. Matthew chapter 17, a passage that Pastor Kirk has just unpacked. We're going to go right back into it's about a mountain because we're in a mountain moving season at the end of our 21 days. Verse 1 of the Amplified says, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them high on a mountain by themselves. And his appearance changed dramatically in their presence. His face shone with heavenly glory, clear and bright like the sun. His clothing became white as light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Then Peter began to speak and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good and delightful and auspicious. Now let's just pause there for a second. Does anybody here believe Peter used the word auspicious? I don't for a minute believe. Translators let us down there on old Peter that we are here. And if you wish, I will put up three sacred tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Come on, I want you to turn to your heart just to ask the Lord um, that he would speak to you tonight. Though you're going to hear my voice, what you really want to hear is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you have to invite him to do that. So, Father, we come to you right now in the most humble of hearts. Lord, we need you. I need you. I need you to take the words that come out of my mouth, and I need you to add your anointing, and I need you to place them in every heart at the appropriate measure and place. And I need you, we need you, to change us more into the likeness of your Son. So, Father, may you do something deep beyond words, beyond what we can grasp, well beyond what we can make happen for ourselves. May we experience your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen, amen. Amen. Um, You know, one of the unique things about having uh, five children is the reality that, you know, just a month ago, Christmas came, and that sounds like fun until you realize that if each of my children get three gifts, we just added 15 things to our house. So you can imagine that not only is it enough to keep them clothed and fed and, and kind of from killing each other, we also have to avoid being hoarders because of the amount of things with which we can accumulate and quick. Now, what's funny about that is, is that our kids will receive tons of gifts. It's tons of toys throughout the year. But unlike my generation, my kids have no interest in playing with toys. Instead, they would rather go to YouTube and watch other people play with toys. Now, some of you are not familiar with this trend, but it is a wide-ranging trend where 
Kids, instead of playing with toys, would rather get on YouTube and watch other kids unbox them and play with them. And these videos are not like just niche. They have millions of views. So we have a whole generation of people who are not content to experience something, but instead have settled watching someone else experience it. And I think that we also have churches filled like that. People who have settled with a verse for the day when there is more. People who are good with an every once in a while church attendance when there is more. People who are good to just listen to Christian radio when there is more. That it is my concern that many people in the body of Christ at some point have stopped pursuing this great and mighty God we have despite him being infinite and giving us the offer that there is more. Now, um, in order to, to um, know, to experience more, you have to understand more. And namely, what I'd like to explain tonight is the reality that there are three awarenesses of God's, presence, God's character, presence, or himself in our lives. Now, notice I didn't say there are three levels of God. God's 100% God all the time. There's not levels and we don't pay and move up and this isn't like some false religion or new age idea. But there are different awarenesses of God. Just in the same way that you um, may not recognize that the air, oxygen is always around you till you walk outside and the wind blows, you suddenly become aware of something that was always there. Well, the same thing's true when it comes to our relationship with God. That often we settle for only one awareness of him when there are many. For example, there's his presence. His presence is when we walk into a room like this tonight, and it is undeniable that there is a living God because we can sense him in this moment. We become aware of his presence, that he's more than just a history book, that we sense his personhood. Then there's um, what we could say is God's power is another awareness. This is when God steps out of time and space and transcends into our reality and changes something that shouldn't have been changed, whether it's a healing, a deliverance, a miracle that takes place. He, he just steps out of infinity and steps into our time and he changes something and we see he changes the laws of nature. His power has been displayed. The third one is his glory. And his glory is when he doesn't just make himself known in his presence and he doesn't just change us through his power, but it's when we encounter in a measure the character, the nature, who God is. It's when you become aware undeniably that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is mighty, that he, he in his character releasing to us, and in these moments that you experience his glory, it's not, more, it's not just goosebumps, it's not just something changed. It affects you spiritually, it affects, affects you emotionally, it affects you physically. It's undeniable that you are in the presence of Almighty God. Now, the Bible uses the word kabod in the Old Testament for the word glory, and it means a weight, it's the idea that in the Old Testament, the weight of God's glory would come on the temple. And when it did, that literally men and women could not stand under his character. 
So great was the revelation of himself that they were reduced to just being on the floor because of his heaviness in their life, that he in this moment revealed himself. And when God's glory shows up, all activities get put to the side, all agendas get moved out of the way, and it is undeniable he is here and he is large and in charge when his glory shows up. Now, the, th the thing is, is that we often settle to realize how much he wants us to experience his glory. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 says that he wants to share his glory with us. Isaiah 43, 7 says that we were made for his glory. And, and, and Ephesians 5, 27 says of the church that he's coming back for a glorious church. Now, um, what, uh, uh, but yet few experience the glory of God. And it's because, um, as Wayne Grudem, a seminary professor, says, he explains it this way, that God does not have size or spatial dimensions. He is present at every point in space and with his whole being. Catch this, though. Yet, God acts differently in different places. That he is fully God in every space, but he acts different in different spaces. Meaning, some people see less and some people discover there's more. And this is based on God revealing himself on our maturity. Now, one of the, the other great things about having so many kids is what I call impromptu WWE wrestling matches. At any moment, there's going to be a, somebody coming off the high rope at me, and I'm going to be wrestling them. But here's what we have to recognize. My kids are 12, 10, 8, um, 4, and 2. Okay, catch up. And what I have to recognize is, is that in my 38-year-old body, I have to be careful when I'm wrestling them because I can't put the same weight on the two-year-old that I can put on the 12-year-old. That their maturity determines how much of my weight they get in that wrestling match. Well, in the kingdom, our maturity is not by, based on how old we are. It's based on how hungry we are. It's based on the idea that some people get more weight because God can sense more hunger in them. And some people never discover there's more because they're not hungry and they have settled and, lay, and not pursued more of what God has for them. And I think that um, this, these three ideas or three awarenesses are displayed in Matthew chapter 17. If you, Pastor Kirk just preached this passage and, and um, I'm so glad he did so that you, you, I don't have to catch you up, but... The very first thing we encounter is, is that the disciples are in the presence of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, if you read Matthew 17, are walking along, and they're, they're in Jesus' presence. They're talking to Jesus. They're with Jesus. They are experiencing his presence in a profound way. It's important to note, though, that if you think the apex of all spiritual experience with God is his presence, I would point to you that they are with him in his presence, but they are unchanged. They're still prideful, arrogant, choosing to fight for position. And for people who think that the presence of God, what we felt just a few minutes ago in worship is the apex of God, here's what you need to recognize is you can feel chills without changing. That's how people come to church all the time, and they walk in, and they lift their hands, and they write amen, pastor, on the sermon, and then they walk right back out to addictions, and they walk right back out to infidelities, and they walk right back out to lacks of integrity, because just because you've been in his presence doesn't mean you've been changed. So then Jesus, though they are in Jesus' presence, something happens. A boy, a father uh, and a boy show up, and they, um, 
they, they, they come to Jesus because this boy throws himself into the fire and water. And this father comes to Jesus and comes to his disciples and he says, I need a miracle. And in this moment, if you read this, what you'll find is that Jesus heals this boy. So now the power of God has been displayed. Now, there are groups in Christendom that would say the power of God is the apex of God. And that's the reason their whole bent is towards healing and miracles and prophecy and gifts. Because all they want to see is if we see gifts, we've seen all there is to see. But let me ask you this. What's needed for the power of God to be displayed? The only thing needed for healing is sickness. The only thing needed for deliverance is bondage. So is it really that we have experienced all God has if we just come broken and busted up so that he can put us back together? That can't be the case because Ephesians says that he's not coming back for a broken church. He's coming back for a glorious church. So that means there must be more. And that's where we find that these, Jesus takes these three disciples and he goes high up on a mountain and that he goes up and unzips his humanity and shows them his glory. And they see what prophets longed to see. They see what kings only hoped to get a glimpse of. That they experience not just the presence of Jesus, not just the power of Jesus, but the glory and majesty of his fullness. Now what catches me though is that, that would make, it would make all the sense in the world if all 12 of them were there. But they're not 12, 12 of them aren't there. As a matter of fact, there's only three. And how many disciples were there? 12. So 75% of Jesus' closest followers missed out on seeing his glory because something in them didn't follow him up that mountain. And that's my concern for the church at times is that we've gotten to a place where we're all love Jesus, we all desire Jesus, but there's only a few that are willing to go higher. There's only a few that are still chasing after. There's only a few that are saying, hey, there's still more. We're not gonna settle for presence. We're not gonna settle for his power. We want to see the glory of God in our lifetime, so therefore we will pursue him more. And the reason that I bring this up is because I think that it's so settled, but I, I think it's a systemic problem. A few years ago, I was at a, um, many years ago now, I was, I was just beginning my pastorate, and I was at an event, and I happened to run into a very well-known pastor, very well-known, speaks to thousands every week, a large church, thousands of people that attend, campuses, the whole thing. And I, I was a little awestruck. I couldn't believe that I ran into him, but I thought, you know what, as a, as a learner, I'm going I'm to learn anything he's got. And so I, I went up to him, introduced myself. He was so gracious. And, and I, I already had a few questions in my mind. I said, hey, hey, talk to me about sermon prep. How, how do you put sermons together? And, and, and then I said, hey, talk to me about campuses. I want to know how can we reach more. Talk to me about how we get the right leaders in the right places and how their gifts are active. And he's so gracious to answer all these questions. And, and then I'm, I can tell he's, he's kind of done. I want to be gracious, so I'm backing away. And he goes, hey, Joe. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, hey, there's something I, you didn't ask, but I want you to know. He said, after being in this for 30 years, he said, here's one of the things I've learned is that we count, but God weighs. And he said, we count campuses and seats and budgets and leaders. He said, but that's not the way God looks at a church. He said, God has a scale and he puts what we call a church on that scale to see how much of his glory is in those, that church. And he said, here's what we're learning. We've got 
big counts with lacking glory. We've got lots of people with none of God's character. We've got buildings filled with people, but not with the character and glory of God. And something in that struck me, and I, I, I just I, I feel like that, that for the last couple of years, I have just been on this place where I, I have seen God put my life on a scale. I feel like that I, I, he, he, particularly coming out of 2020, he just took me and he said, we need to do some work. And he put my life on a scale. And I'm going to confess to you, I came out as a lightweight. The things that I cared about were not the things that mattered. The, th- the things that I was pursuing were not the things that God was on his pursuit. The things that I wanted weren't even the same things he wanted. And he started to show me how light I actually was despite having the title lead pastor. And there's just, I, I know the pandemic was very difficult on a lot of people. And, and, and God, I, I just bless you if your family went through, you know, lost someone. But I'm going to tell you this, it was good for me. It was good for me because it stopped all the craziness and it it got me on God's scale where he could show me what matters and what doesn't matter. I'm a better leader because of that. You know what? Because I came back out of that pandemic and I thought, man, if that ain't kill the church, I'm not going to kill the church. I'm going to lead with boldness. I'm going to start making the calls God's put in my heart that I'm going to do the things that he's called me to do. But more than anything else, I'm going to tell you what it did is not only did it reveal to me what I was lacking, but it made me hungry for what I was lacking. And there's just something that has come up in me these last couple of years that I want my move of God. I'm tired of reading about everybody else's move of God. I'm tired of seeing a disconnect between what I live and what scripture offers. I'm tired of reading history books about awakenings and revivals and seeing people and cities come to know God. I want what God has and I'm not willing to stop until I see it in my life. And when I came in this room tonight, I sensed the same kind of hunger in a group of people in Atlanta on a Tuesday night who have said, I want more. I'm not happy with just a position. I'm not happy with just three points in a poem. I'm not okay with just going through the motions. I want to know God. I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I want to see his glory in my life. I want to see him transform a city and my children and my family and my business. I want what he has and I'm willing to do what it takes to see more. And so what I want to do tonight is I want want to dive in to the the couple of things that I see that separated. All of them were disciples, but some of them saw it and some of them didn't. And now what that tells me, there's some practices, or maybe even I should say it this way, some postures of our hearts that if we want to see God's glory and not settle for just his presence and power, that we would posture ourselves in this way. So what does it take to go to the mountaintop and see God's glory? Number one, a higher standard of living. The crowd's at the bottom of the mountain, and they experienced his presence. They experienced his power. But it was only those who were willing to go higher that saw his glory. It's the idea that the standard of how we live our lives can't be set by the crowd we're a part of. What we keep as integrity is not set by the lowest bar wherever we work. What we keep as as our standard is not based on what we scroll in other people's lives. That we recognize that there is a higher standard to be kept if we want to see God's glory. And this is the issue that happens actually at the bottom of the mountain because Jesus references it. A father comes with a son who needs a miracle and he doesn't go to Jesus first. First he goes to the disciples. 
And he says, can you cast out this demon? And the disciples try. I mean, they, they do everything they, they've been taught to do. They try, and nothing takes place. This boy's still in bondage. And so Jesus comes along seeing that they can't do what they should be able to do, and he immediately sees this boy delivered. And then the disciples go, well, what's the problem? He says, I'll tell you what the problem is. Two problems. Number one, you're unbelieving. Number two, you're perverted. Let me say it this way. You're disconnected from God, and you're too connected to this culture. So that's the issue. You see, if we, until we raise our standards, we're not going to see the results we want to see. That until we raise and give God access to our whole lives, then we're not going to see what we want to see from God. To move, too many people want to see God move while staying the same. It reminds me of uh, the, the special IRS fund I read about one time called the Cheaters Account. The IRS created a fund for those who have been cheating on their taxes to submit those payments um, anonymously when they felt guilty. And supposedly they received one letter that read, uh, I have cheated on my taxes for years and I feel so bad I can't sleep. Enclosed, please find a money order for $10,000. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest of what I owe. And this is a perfect picture of the way many believers are today is what we want to do is give up the minimum but experience the maximum. We want to move of God, but we won't want God to move us in any direction when it comes to our attitude, our actions, or the way we talk or treat other people. And the Bible says clearly that Hebrews 12, 14, by the way, this is New Testament, without holiness, no one sees the Lord. That holiness is still God's standard. That he has not changed because culture has changed. He has not changed because we don't feel like changing. That he has not lowered his standard because we don't want to raise ours. That holiness is still the way we find the glory of God. And for many of us, we don't see the results we want to see when we pray. We don't see the results we want to see when we fast. We don't see the results we want to see in our workplace and in our kids because our standard of living is just too low. Now listen, I don't care if y'all, amen or not, I'm going to preach it. <laughs> Here's the reality. We need to get back to an old idea called consecration. Consecration, we assume, is a list of do's and don'ts. That's religion, not consecration. Consecration is not a list of to-do's and don'ts. Consecration is a removing of the layers of my flesh until the Holy Spirit that is in me is revealed. It's this process you've been going through for 21 days when you've been praying more than you normally pray or you've been fasting when you normally don't fast. It's a removing of the flesh while revealing the hope of glory that is on the inside of you. And we need to get back to consecration if we want to see God do extraordinary things, if we want to see his glory. There's something powerful about when you set a time like this, but please don't let this be the only time this year you consecrate yourself. Please don't let this be the 21 days you put in, but the, re the, the other 365, you just go to back to living like hell. Live at a higher level so God can peel back those layers. I one time heard Reinhard Bonnke, the famed evangelist um, who died several years ago, tell the story that when he was in his early 20s, he knew God had marked him with a call on his life. He desired that call, but he was also struggling in his own faith, struggling with his own issues, attitudes, actions, addictions. And he decided in and of himself, if he's going to fulfill what God had for him, he was going to have to consecrate himself, give himself fully to the Lord. 
So he, in Germany, set himself aside in an apartment for several days, fasting, seeking the Lord, putting out all media, putting out all ideas other than the scriptures and pursuing the heart of God in prayer. And he said in the moment he didn't feel like it was doing much. He was frustrated. He didn't feel like his questions were being answered and he couldn't sense any change, but he continued because he wanted a move of God in his life. He says that towards the end of his time, he went down to a local convenience store to pick up a few supplies and go right back up and continue in his time. He said he picked them up and he carried them to the counter and he set them on the counter and he went to get his payment, form of payment, when all of a sudden the girl that was behind the counter stumbled back and said, your eyes. He immediately apologized. He said, excuse me, ma'am. She goes, your eyes. He thought something had happened physically to his eyes. So he, he quickly looked in the, the cooler that was beside him to make sure that his eyes were okay. And he said, ma'am, I'm sorry. By the time he turned back, tears were streaming down her face. She said, I see Jesus in your eyes and I need him. He was taken back. He said, excuse me, what what do you mean? She said, I grew up in a Christian home. But when I became a teenager, my heart started to stray. And by the time I graduated, I ran as far as I could. I lived in a university life for a while, doing all the things that come with those trappings of that life. And she said, I feel so much shame. I've never went back to a church because I didn't believe the Lord would receive me. And she said, but I can see the Lord Jesus in your eyes, and I need him. And in that moment, Reinhard Bonnke said he led that girl to the Lord, not from a testimony, not from a sermon, not from a lecture or a book, but simply from the fact that he had given enough time for God to peel back who he was so that Jesus shined forth in whom If you want to see a move of God, it first starts with God moving in you. Mom and dad, if you want your words to weigh something with your kids, raise your standard of living. Sir, ma'am, if you want your words to weigh something in your office, raise your standard of living. God will put an anointing on your words to when you speak, people listen because you hold a standard. Now, the second one is this. We need to possess the fear of the Lord. The Bible said that God's glory caused Peter, James, and John to fall afraid. I think that's interesting because you don't hear much about people being afraid of Jesus. It's true. He's loving like you've never seen love. Compassionate like you can't imagine. Kind in a way that you cannot grasp. But according to this, his character does not stop at just the warm and fuzzy emotions. It continues on into something called the fear of the Lord. That a healthy view of Jesus is not just that he's loving and brings peace, but also that he can cause fear. Now let me be clear, that's very confusing for many people. Let me say, the fear of the Lord is, does not mean that God works in your life by inflicting anxiety. Second. Timothy chapter one verse seven or chapter one verse seven says this that God's not given us a spirit of fear but a power love and a sound mind. So God never works through fear in our lives. So that's not what it means. Is He increases your anxiety so that you follow Him? It also does not mean that God is um, going that you should fear coming to Him or that He's some cosmic crank holding a big hammer ready to drop it on your head. Scripture tells us that there is no wrath 
in God because it was all poured out on Jesus. Jesus got all of God's wrath so you could have all of God's love. The fear of the Lord refers to that we as followers of Jesus live with a reverence, an awe, a respect. That the idea is is that he is holy and that he did not lower his holiness to have a relationship with us, but that he kept the standard and it was so high that he had to give the life of his son in order for us to have a relationship with him. And sometimes I get concerned that we have made God so approachable that we think he is now common. That we have made him so easy to get to, and he is, but we've also lost the reality that he is holy, mighty, complete, not a drop of sin in him. And you can see as it's lost in the way that we live because God, yes, is your father, but he's not aloof. When we disobey God's word, we are undoing his authority. When we don't listen to his prompts, we are saying, your opinion doesn't matter. When we make decisions without him, we are saying we know more than him. And if you go to any moral failure, any mistreatment of people, any any misuse of funds, especially in the life of a believer, and you've ever asked yourself, how did that happen? They call themselves a Christian. It's because they've lost a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not that we're afraid of him. It's we're afraid of being without him. Listen, I'll be honest. um, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I can tell you some jokes. I got some great stories. I know how to put the cliches together and to point some truths that'll be very enlightening and inspiring to you. I know how for you to walk away. I mean, I, I know how to do this. You know what I also know? That my words do not have the capacity to break sin in the heart of a person. That my words don't have the capacity to snap an addiction off of someone who cannot get free. That my words do not have the capacity to change out the hearts of a husband and wife and put them back together in unity. And it is for that reason that I operate in a fear of the Lord where I say, God, if you don't show up, I'm not going God, my words are empty without yours. This is just a room without you. This is clanging cymbals without you. God, we have to have you. I'm not willing to step on that platform without you. I'm not willing to do this without you because there's nothing in me that is for them. Only you, God, can change the hard heart. And some of you need to get the fear of the Lord back in your life. You need to go, God, I can't raise these kids without you. And I'm willing to seek you on every decision because I can't raise them. There's not good enough in me to help them fulfill their destiny. Some of you need to get the fear of the Lord when it comes to your business. And you need to say, God, I'm not willing to have a meeting without first meeting with you because I need your wisdom and your understanding in this. God, I'm not willing to make that purchase without you. I'm not willing to make that decision without you. I need you, therefore, I fear going before you. And that's what it takes to see his glory. Here's the third one, an unrushed disposition. We all long to see God's glory but we just don't want it to take too long. That's what I love about this passage. You know, it's interesting. We we get a lot of details in this passage, but you know the one detail we don't get? How long were they up there? We don't know how long they're up there. It could have been days, could have been hours, could have been moments. We, We don't know. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit doesn't want to give us that detail because he knows that we are in such a hurry that he wants to refrain it from us 
because there's no glory in hurry. Romans 12 um, says this, that we're living sacrifices. I'm going to borrow this real quick. We're living sacrifices. Now, in the Old Testament, they take a dead animal, and that was worship. They set it on an altar, and that was worship. But Romans says we're living sacrifices. You know what the problem with living sacrifices is? They keep getting up off the altar. Here's the problem with a living sacrifice. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to read my Bible as soon as I get those clothes out of the washer. (laughs) Listen, I'm telling you that, Pastor, he got me stirred up. I'm going to worship as soon as I go take and take the dog out. Okay, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait to spend time with you today, Jesus. I can't wait to spend time with you. I can't wait to spend time with you, Jesus. When did she get that? <laughs> I didn't know she was going there. Oh, got to go, got to go, got to go. Got to go work now. Don't have time with Jesus. See, the problem with living sacrifices is, is that they keep getting up and off the altar. And if you truly want to experience a profound moment with God, here's what's going to have to happen. You're going to have to strap yourself to this altar. And you're going to have to say, body, I know you're more comfortable getting things done, but this is the most important thing we're going to do today. And we're going to sit here until we experience Jesus. Mind, I know you want to race in every direction possible, but you need to be renewed. And we're going to to stay here until you are renewed through God's word. Feelings, I know you've been used to running the show, but you're taking a back seat now. You are no longer in charge. We are going to stay here until I experience the presence of Jesus the power of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. We're going to stay on this altar. Nothing else happens till you receive what is due you, Lord. So really, it's not a sacrifice of praise. First, it's a sacrifice of pace. And then it becomes a sacrifice of praise. I think for some people, your worship's not doing you any good because your heart's so rushed. You know, um, Psalm, I think, 19 says is that the heavens declare his glory. Everything declares God's glory because in order to experience glory, you have to declare glory. That worship's something that happens after we slow ourselves down. It's this idea that, I mean, God created everything and to, to give him glory. Trees give him glory. Birds give him glory. Worms give him glory. We're the only thing he created that has a choice in if we do it or not. And I think that's one of the reasons that the enemy has spent so much time hurting our understanding of worship. Because if he, he's keeping us fast, but even if we slow down, our hearts are not ready for worship. And it does it through two ways. I think the first one is just preference. Listen, you want to get some Christians yapping at each other, just ask them what they think of certain songs. I'm serious. You know, there's nothing in the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic that ever says worship's about you. But yet when you make worship a preference, you make yourself a little God. You're the one receiving it. People stand in services, I don't like this song. Why don't they sing some old stuff? Why don't they sing some new stuff? Why do we need all those lights? Why do we got to have that smoke? Why do we got to have, well, I don't know, why do we got to have this air conditioner? Why do we got to have those comfortable seats? <laughs> I remember being in a service one time 
I was, and they sang a song. I didn't care for it. I was a pastor. I thought, why are they sing that song? I'm in charge here. I need to start going through the songs before we sing them. Listen to those lyrics. I don't like those lyrics. Read too much. I can't wait till the next song. Who chose this song anyways? Clear as day, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I did. And then, then I heard him say, and I'd like to hear it from you. You know what's wonderful about the book of Revelation? Is that it has no preference or comfort or any of that in it. What it has is a view of what, what we hope to strive for, which is this. Regardless of what's happening on the earth, heaven is in worship. Like it's a duality you get to watch. Plagues and pestilence on earth, Jesus glorified in heaven. Uh, Antichrist comes on the scene, Jesus is glorified in heaven. Antichrist gets pulled off the scene, Jesus glorified in heaven. Church is victorious, Jesus is glorified in heaven. Church is under great trepidation, Jesus is glorified in heaven. It's the duality of the idea that, it does, it's, that our worship's not supposed to be based on the songs we like or the week we've had. It's based on the character of the God that we have. And the reason, listen, don't get me wrong. Peter and James and, and, and John, they're up on the mountain, and these guys are strong, and they, they're yapping at each other, and some of them don't like to sing, and one of them's more introverted, and some of them want a different song. But the key here is this. They put aside preference, and they put aside comfort for the fact that they saw Jesus Jesus. And you know what the church needs? We need less Facebook prophets. We need less news cycles running what we believe and think. And we need more time where we turn our eyes to Jesus, that he is the author and the finisher of this thing, that he's the first and the last. The Colossians says that in him, all things are held together, that he is life, that he is the victorious one who made hell walk in a parade as he defeated them. And listen, and if you don't know him theologically, I know you know him personally, that when you have failed, he has forgiven you. That when you've been alone, he has never forsaken you. That when you needed a healing, his was his nail-scarred hands that brought it to your life. What we have to do is walk into these moments and say, God, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what it requires. I'll lift my hands. I'll lift my voice because I want to see Jesus. He's the one that's worthy of what is in me. He's the one that's worthy. And if he wants to sing that, let's sing it. If he wants to stay that long, let's stay. I'm here to please him. And those are the people who see God's glory. Now, here's the last one. Y'all ain't going to invite me back. You'd say, he's too mean. He's too mean. Listen, here's the last one. You have to have the audacity to ask. An overlooked but essential step of seeing God's glory in your life is that you have to ask because God doesn't invade. He's invited. Whatever you want to experience with God, you have to invite him into it. And one of the interesting details of this story is, is that two Old Testament characters make a cameo, Elijah and Moses. They show up. Now, theologically, they will tell you that this is so that Jesus is superior to the prophets and the law. And that's true. But Moses is also there because he asked to be there. Go back 2,000 years, Moses has experienced the presence of God at a burning bush, and he's seen the power of God in Pharaoh's palace. But as he's sitting on the Mount of Sinai, he says to the Lord, can I see your glory? There was something in him knew that there was still more. 
And in Exodus thirty-three seventeen, it says, the Lord replied to Moses, yes, I will do what you have asked for you have certainly found favor with me and you are my friend. Then Moses asked to see God's glory. Now, I'll give you kind of what happens is that God goes to Moses and said, Moses, we've got a problem here, bud. Um, you can't see my glory because no man can see my glory and live. So he says, you know, I can't show you my glory because it would kill you. That's how amazing I am. So, but here's what we'll do. He said, I'm going to put you in this rock. I'm going to put my hand on it, and I'm going to walk by, and you're going to see my, some scriptures say the backside. Now, that, that's not what you think it is. It's not like God in a hospital gown going by, okay? <laughs> that's not what that is. Okay. It's uh, theologically referred to as the anapromorphic. It's God describing himself because he's not human in human form so that we can understand it. And the best translation of it is, I'm going to show you where I've been. So, so let, let, me, let me explain it this way. Um, you ever walked outside and you looked up and you saw not an airplane, but where an airplane's been? You've seen evidence of where it's been. You don't see the actual plane. That's what, what's happening here. So he puts Moses in the rock and he puts his hand there and he goes by. And Moses turns, and he sees where God has been. Now, this is interesting. And, and there's a little debate on this. I, I think it's solid enough to say. If not theologically wrong, Pastor Kirk, you can clean this up Sunday, okay? Um, <laughs> Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. But Moses didn't do it from an eyewitness account because Moses was not alive. So how do you write, I mean, obviously under the inspiration of the Spirit, but how do you write about things you never saw unless when God moved his hand, you saw everywhere he had been? It's his response, I think, when he saw everywhere God had been, the history of God, he grabbed a tablet and said, in the beginning was the heaven and the earth, and the earth was dark and without void. And the Spirit of the Lord hung over the oceans and the chaos of the earth, and the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. He saw where the Lord has been. Okay, now, um, the, Moses dies. The Bible says God buries him. That's it. Until 2,000 years later. Jesus unzips his humanity, steps on the Mount of Transfiguration out in his divinity, and God remembers his friend Moses, who had asked to see his glory. And the Bible says the disciples did not see Jesus, their faces to the ground, but it said Moses spoke to him face to face. How's that possible? Because Moses came out of the grave to do it. Because he asked. One of the things I'll, if somebody wants to come to the piano, one of the things I'll, um, I often ask men and women of God, I've asked your pastor this, I ask many as I, for at lunch or dinner, I'll say, hey, tell me about the greatest move of God you've ever seen. And I could tell you all kinds of stories. I could tell you stories of healing. I could tell you stories of uh, deliverance. I could tell you stories of um, just miracles. If you were to ask me that, I would probably have to narrow it down to one story. When I was 20, 20 21 years old, I was in a Sunday night service. Y'all remember when we used to have those? Thank God those are gone. (laughs) 
we, um, we're in a service and the pastor was coming to the end and he, um, he had a stand. There's three or 400 people there. And he said, I, he had preached on this idea of God uses generations to encourage one and the other. And, and he said, I'm going to do something unique tonight. He said, um, I'm going to show you God can use anyone. And then he said, Joe, come here. <laughs> God's on the street. And he brought another gentleman up. And he said a few things that we symbolize some things from his sermon. And he said, here's what, what's going to happen. Is he said, well, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, if you want God to touch your life tonight, I want you to come forward. And he said, and, and I'm not going to pray for you tonight. Joe and this other gentleman are going to do it. And so I remember standing on that stage like this, and he began to pray. And as he began to pray, it was though a weight came in that room. Heavy, heavy. It felt like a weighted blanket set over my shoulders. He said, and when I opened my eyes, there were probably 100, 150 people in the altar seeking the Lord. And I took one step towards them, and it was though the Lord shook in an earthquake. Not a physical earthquake. I'm saying it was like that because immediately people hit their knees and began to cry out to God. I've never seen anything like it. No one was orchestrating the service. No one was directing. No one was saying line up. There weren't lines. I mean, I'm, I'm for all that. We do all that. I'm just saying in this moment, there were at least 150 individuals who responded exactly the same without instruction to the glory of God. Out of that moment, which lasted hours, people lingering for hours, people were delivered from addictions. People surrendered their heart to Christ. People were filled with the Holy Spirit. I've never seen anything like it. No direction whatsoever. No one laid hands on anyone, and yet everyone received exactly what they needed. Now, if you're logical like me, you're going, what's the point in that story? What's the point in God even doing stuff like that? What, what, I mean, I don't get it. What, I mean, what, what, what's the point of on a mountain and God shows his glory? What's the point on, you know, when you're 20, God doing that? Best I can come up with is this. The other day, Kayla and I were in a uh, nice restaurant on a date. And we sat down and there's no kids. You take a breath. And um, we ordered our drinks. And then after our drinks came, all of a sudden came this plate with food on it. And I said to the waiter, I said, I'm sorry, sir, we didn't order this. And he said, oh, I know, no, 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 these, these are your appetizers. I said, no, I'm sorry, we didn't order these. He said, these were sent by the chef. It's his practice. It's called a tasting plate. He said, his goal is to activate your palate and create a hunger for what's to come. And the best I can figure is 20 years ago, the Lord let me touch a little bit of his glory so that 20 years later I'd be standing here still hungry for it. That he gave me a palate that says I have not seen all there is and that a, people, a group of people in Marietta that I could stand before them and say there's more. There's more than you've experienced. Yes, you've experienced his salvation. Yes, you've experienced his healing and his deliverance is wonderful and his spirit is precious but there's more. This God we have is endless. He's beyond what we can comprehend. We cannot even fathom his ways are 
are above our ways. His, his thoughts so far beyond our thoughts. There is more. Do not settle until you see your move of God. Do not settle until you see this church filled with the glory of God and people seeking Him. Do not settle till you see this city shaken. You are entitled to your awakening, your revival, your kids coming to Christ, your home being given to God. Don't settle. There's more. Come on, stand to your feet. There's more. Oh, come on, just begin to pour out your worship to him. Just begin to give him your worship. I wonder if there's some hungry people in this room. Some people who are hungry for more of God. He's already given us so much of himself. It's us posturing ourselves to him. Some people who repent of attitudes and actions. Some people who are coming back to the fear of the Lord. Some people who say, I, 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 I'm not worried about my watch. Some people who ask God for my family. Some people who ask God for my business. God, we want to see your glory. Is anybody hungry in this room for more than just going through the motions? Does anybody want to encounter? Is there a longing for the well that doesn't run dry?
This place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, your presence. Sweet. 
Just let yourself experience the presence of God. Experience the glory. Ask him tonight to show you more of his glory. You can approach his throne with boldness and ask, God, show me more of your glory. Pierce through my flesh.
lifted eyes we bow There are times that I'm at a loss for words except to say thank you. You didn't have to do this tonight. You didn't have to come in here and let your presence and your glory settle in this place. And yet you did anyway. We opened our hearts to you tonight. You didn't have to settle deep within us, but you did. Because you're true to your word. Because you said when we seek you, that 
we'd find you. That when you would be lifted up, you would draw us to you. That when we come into your presence, that there would be fullness of joy. That when we come to you in all your fullness, you take our mourning and you turn it into dancing. You take our sorrow and you turn it into joy. Not just any joy, joy unspeakable, full of glory. That you don't invite us just to come in a moment you invite us to linger not just in this moment but tomorrow to linger in your glory the Thursday to linger in your glory that your glory is not a one time experience it's an invitation to dwell deep within the character and presence the glory of who you are Thank you today, tonight, for wetting our appetites, for giving us a taste to prepare the palates of our soul to feast upon all that you have for us. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Oh, God, we love you. Forgive us when we've just mouthed the words. We love you with all our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our beings. We need you more than we need anything else. I thank you, Lord, that you care enough about us that you give us this moment tonight. Keep us in your presence. Holy Spirit, invite us daily to experience this. Help us to not be satisfied where we are. As Pastor Joe said, God, don't, don't let us ask for a move of God without moving towards God. Help us to, help us to take active steps every day. And receive us with your glory. And for that, we give you praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Can you give the Lord praise in this place? Amen. Amen. You know, there are times when I said you don't know what to say, you don't want to do. I'm going to bless you. We're going to sing a little while longer if we want to. Well, we're not want to. We're going to sing a little while longer. And if you want to linger for a little while, you're welcome to. But you have permission. If you need to go, you can go. And I want you to go under blessing. But I just believe...
that what God has begun tonight in this holy and precious moment is something that you're going to, even if you linger, you're going to take with you. And the reason why we bless you according to Numbers chapter 6, it says when you bless this way, the name, the character, the goodness of God rest upon you. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparennorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparennorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.